0: So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. I thought that the creation of Bitcoin would uh, get me two things. I thought it would get me um, an offer of partnership in one of the, like a, either BDO or like one of the big four. Uh, for a great new accounting thing and, and whatever else, so I'd, I'd become a partner, um, and I'd get tenure at a university. Those were the two things I thought I'd get. That—that that was my ambitions. <laughs> one, wait, one university. You—you, you, sorry, the, only at one university you went after. Yeah, I thought I'd get a full professorship oh. and um, and a partnership in an accounting firm, and that—that that was my entire um, way. <laughs> Craig, right? Everybody, give him a hand. Give him, give him a big, rousing round of applause for unzipping his fly yet one more time and telling us how much of a liar he is. Can you? I mean, honestly, you really buy that he created Bitcoin to get a job with a big four accounting firm and/or a university teaching gig? Do you, you do, really? I got bridges all over the Plains States to sell you if you buy that one. I got another one for you coming up that's just as frickin' cringe by one of our favorite people in the space. But first, it's 6.08 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 19th of October, 2020. This is episode 304 of Bitcoin and... Nobody has told us that we've done anything wrong. Nobody. Well, you do know the IRS visited you this year. Surely that was an indicator. It look, look. People can be investigated for all sorts of reasons. Doesn't mean it did anything wrong. What did they say to you when they came, when the IRS came to your business to you this year? What, what did they tell you? Look, as I said, they didn't say that we did anything wrong. What did they say? I'm, I, look, I'm not, I'm not allowed to discuss it per the government. Peter Schiff is rarely lost for answers. I'm not asking any more questions on the bank. That's it, I'm done. I'll rephrase the question. There's no more questions, no more questions. No but no more questions. when it comes to the bank, here. all right this is ridiculous this is I don't even know what they're trying to do he leaves the final word to his wife hey Hi, what was the point of you asking what what were you trying to get from this interview your, your husband's bank is at the center of a major investigation which we're investigating so they're fair, fair questions to ask peter's a public person he's a media person he's running an international bank that is the subject of a large investigation go away yeah just go away from me so, Peter Schiff's bank is getting investigated by the IRS, apparently. That's right, Peter Schiff, the guy who keeps telling us how stupid we are because we're going into this Bitcoin thing and not into gold or whatever. Uh, yeah, he's, he's apparently under investigation. So, let's just start up the news with the Peter Schiff investigation. Uh, Peter Schiff Banked is known criminal, or I'm sorry, Peter Schiff Banked known criminals, says tax probe. Uh, Robert Stevens is writing this for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday. Uh, let's see here. <clears throat> A tax probe involving authorities from, oh my God, Australia, the United States, the United Kingdom, The Netherlands and Canada alleges that Euro-Pacific Bank, the full reserve bank run by Bitcoin skeptic Peter Schiff, provided banking services to known organized criminals and tax evaders with little scrutiny, an investigation by major Australian newspaper and the New York Times found. Okay. Euro-Pacific Bank, based in Puerto Rico, Describes itself as a means for American investors to gain exposure to those areas of the global economy that have largely avoided the crushing debt burden that has swamped many developed economies. It offers its customers low tax rates and privacy. Tax offices from the five nations launched a probe called Operation Atlantis against the bank after Dutch authorities gained access to its customers' details in a leak. Uh, I'm assuming they're talking about this latest bank leak where several banks got caught with their ha- with their pants down again, servicing everyone from I don't know terrorists to well I don't know everybody that we're supposed to be scared of, and that's why we have AMLKYC right. So, which is it's clear that that's all BS. So anyway, here, you know, the, it looks like Peter Schiff was part of that leak anyway. The customers' list showed that Eurocapital banked known financial criminals, among them Simon Australian whom Australian authorities imprisoned for five years for masterminding a $105 million tax fraud scheme, Plutus Payroll. The Age reported that Euro-Pacific made little attempt to scrutinize its customers, many of whom came from shady pasts. <clears throat> on the list of clients was a Russian crime syndicate that the FBI calls the worst cybercrime unit in the world, reported The Age. Schiff denied the allegations in a fiery home interview with Australian TV show 60 Minutes. He said, quote, We're not involved in any illegal activity, uh, that he's not involved in the day-to-day operations of the bank, and that his bank turns down far more accounts than we approve because our compliance is so rigorous. When pressed on the matter, Schiff ripped off his microphone and quit the interview. As you just heard, he literally walked out and then told his wife to walk out. That was just, God, what a train wreck that thing is. He said Operation Atlantis has got nothing to do with reality. The IRS visited Schiff on January the 24th. The probe is still ongoing. With its large customer list, it'll take a long time for tax authorities to get to the bottom of it all. So... It looks like our good friend Peter Schiff may be may be in trouble. I I you know who would have guessed that Peter Schiff might be a shady ass individual? I don't know, man. Certainly wasn't any of us, right? Right? <clears throat> Muhammad Musharraf is writing this next one for Cointelegraph. Uh apparently, very early this morning, Binance Jersey shuts operations less than two years after its launch. Oh man. This this whole on-ramp, off-ramp war that's going on is probably going to get really bad, y'all. So just remember, remember, if you just, if you have to trade, if you just absolutely have to trade crypto, go to Hoddle. They still exist. Nobody seems to be able to find out where the door to knock on and say, hello, you're under arrest. They don't seem to have any address of that kind. So if you just if your dj side just absolutely positively has to go do this shit use huddle huddle because this war on the exchanges is going to get worse i still wonder what this means for kraken but we know we, we at least know what it means for binance binance the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange announced that it will soon close down its jersey based subsidiary binance jersey Binance launched its platform in Jersey as part of an expansion drive to tap into the European markets. On January the 15th, 2019, the exchange announced that Binance Jersey will allow fiat to cryptocurrency trading for European traders. At launch, the exchange supported bitcoin and ether trading against both euro and the British pound. While the exchange aimed to make Binance Jersey a major driving force in European markets, the market shows, market shows that it fell short of its goals According to the latest coin market cap data, Binance Jersey has a 24 hour trading volume of only $164,000 on BTC, Euro uh, Euro pair, and uh, uh, BTC, uh, (coughs) sorry, Great British Pound. Trading volumes are $76,000 and $46,000, respectively. Binance Coin, the native token of the Binance ecosystem, has a combined GBP and euro trading volume of only $5,000. Wow, I had no idea it was that low. Binance will restrict new deposits of the Great British Pound and the euro and all supported cryptocurrencies on October the 30th. After suspending deposits, the exchange will allow trading and withdrawals of all pairs and currencies until November the 9th. The platform's final shutdown is scheduled for November the 30th, after which all user accounts will be inaccessible. The exchange did not specify the exact reason for shutting down operations in Jersey, but said its main exchange platform, Binance.com, will continue to offer services to citizens of Jersey through compliant banking channels. So another one bites the dust. And like they said, there's no reason that was given, but, you know, Binance... Is probably, you never know what's going to happen to Binance. I mean, we saw what happened to BitMEX. Is, is Binance just going to get, you know, it, are they going to get lunched too? I don't know, man. It's it's hard to tell. But what is surprising is that these numbers are so low. I just, I don't know. Just, you'd think that there'd be a little bit more degeneracy going on out there. But speaking of DGENs, let's talk about Filecoin. Oh, Filecoin. That was fun, wasn't it? Yeah. It's not like we haven't been warned about this, but David Pan is going to take us through what exactly has happened now because this was written uh, sometime early this morning. This is at a coin desk, (coughs) con desk. Filecoin miners go on strike one day after mainnet launch, prompting early reward release. Oh my, that doesn't sound like it's pretty good. Filecoin, a decentralized storage network launched by Protocol Labs is off to a rocky start. After a strike by miners just one day after its highly anticipated mainnet launch on October the 15th, five of its largest miners turned off their machines to protest the project's unfair economic model that requires a significant amount of FIL tokens to start mining operations, according to a report by 8BTC.com. Okay, so this sounds a lot like staking. If this is true... Then you can imagine what's going to happen when, uh, when and if, if ever uh, Ethereum goes to uh, proof of stake. Okay, yeah. Zoo Cloud, one of the top fine filecoin miners, has more than eight thousand interplanetary planetary file system mining machines. Yet only two hundred seventy-six mining machines were running on Saturday, while the other four, including mining company uh, 1475 generated even less storage mining power the report said the project aims to provide its users with decentralized data storage and transmission services through servers offered by its miners with commodity hardware however the miners are required to stake a large amount of fil tokens as initial pledge collateral or ipc to start their mining operations while filecoin uses the collateral as a leverage to ensure miners fully deliver their services according to users' contracts. It creates a situation where the miners don't have enough FIL tokens to begin with. (laughs) Well, that was properly planned. There are two ways to get more tokens, but neither of them are desirable. Miners could earn token rewards uh, and put them down as collateral, but Filecoin releases the rewards over the course of six months after building a block, as a result, the miners receive very few tokens at the beginning. Miners could also buy FIL tokens from exchanges, however, that could be very costly and risky move since many believe FIL is currently overvalued, and there might be a hefty transaction fee. FIL tokens pl- uh, price fluctuated wildly on its opening day, soaring to a hundred dollars before settling down to almost forty with many investors arguing it is still grossly overpriced. Quote, all of the miners have been off since the mainnet went live. This is not some sort of protest, but we have to shut them down because we really don't have the tokens as collateral to mine, uh, ST Cloud CEO Shuang Wang Lai said in the report. In response to miners' concerns, Filecoin has decided to release 25% token rewards in advance once a miner builds a block on the blockchain. The revision could enable 80% of our mining capacity. <laughs> Jesus. Ming Zhang, CEO of IPSF Main, said, Miners have been complaining about Filecoin's mining economic model long before the mainnet launch and suggested that they should fork the project, of course. China has been one of the hottest markets for Filecoin, in part due to its unique mining mechanism since the project raised over $200 million in its ICO three years ago. That's how long this shit's been going on. Actually, it's been going on a, a, a lot longer than that. But yeah, this has just been a, a slow-moving train wreck. Chinese crypto mining companies have purchased tens of millions of dollars of IPFS mining machines that are designed to provide large data storage and compute power to seal and transmit the data. Okay. I'm not sure if it's at forty right now. In fact, if you'll hold on for a sec, let's let me let me just take a look at the charts here i've got file i should have file coin up here yeah settling down at 40 is bullshit because we're settling down at $31 and that high of 100 i'm showing it was a high of about 150 so it's just i'm looking at the chart now and it's it's i mean i would like to ski on this slope on this downward slope i really would it looks like it might be a very interesting ski run but it's not it's people's money and you hosed it Again, we keep warning you, stop going into this bullshit. Uh, all that this only ever seems to end in in pain and suffering for people, and i'm I'm not quite sure what it takes to get it through people's heads to stop. stop doing this. Just stop. It's not it's God is so not worth. it's so not worth the time. It really isn't It's not worth the loss of funds. It's not worth the heartache. It's not worth It's not worth it, man. So, stop. Former patrons can't drown sorrows as first ever bar to accept Bitcoin closes. Yeah, we're going to have to say goodbye to Room 77, people. Turner Wright is going to tell us all about it. He's doing it for Cointelegraph sometime earlier this morning or late last night. A legendary Berlin-based watering hole in Bitcoin Hub closes down. The legendary bar and restaurant in Germany that was reportedly the first ever to accept cryptocurrency as a form of payment has permanently closed. According to an October 18th Reddit post from Georg Platzer, founder of Room 77, the first brick and mortar business to accept Bitcoin is no longer accepting customers and has shuttered its doors. In a goodbye message riddled with references to Douglas Adams, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Platzer said, thanks again for all the fish and the generous tips. After more than 15 years in business, occupying that little joint in Berlin, Kreuzberg. We had a great time, said Platzer, having a lot of fun and making many friends. It is clear by now that nobody will stop Bitcoin anymore. Sound money on a global scale will soon make it unfeasible to wage wars, and it will create economic equality amongst mankind. Room 77, the restaurant at the end of capitalism, Located in the Kreuzberg district of Berlin, Germany was reportedly the first brick-and-mortar location in the world to accept Bitcoin as a form of payment. Platzer claimed to have received the first crypto payment in May 2011 for a pint of beer. Given that the average price of beer in Germany is roughly $4.10 and Bitcoin had just reached parity with the United States dollar at the time, the patron could have easily paid for their drink with more than one BTC. Which is now priced at $11,432. That's a high quality beverage. Uh, yeah, well, we're going to, that's just, and just pausing right there to remind us all that people who laugh at the P, uh, Bitcoin pizza guy, uh, you shouldn't be laughing at him because without these people at the very first of all this, you would have never, nobody would have ever been able to start the process of price discovery. Without that, th- then we, none of us would be here. Okay. So it's okay that that person paid 1 BTC for a beer. It's okay that Laszlo paid $10,000 for a freaking Papa John's pizza. The only problem with Laszlo's purchase is that he should have gotten a better pizza. Papa John's is trash. I hate it. But whatever. We we really need to lit, lit that the idea of, "Oh my god, you paid that much for a for a beer." Yeah, yeah, way back in the in the day. Of course they did. Of course they paid one BTC for a beer. Nobody knew what the hell was going to go, what was going to happen. We had, you know, we had our ideas, but there was no way that you could have just known. And again, without without the beginnings of the, of the process of price discovery, there is no price discovery. So stop with the whole, oh my God, I can't believe you paid one BTC for a beer. Crypto Twitter users, we quick to jump on the news with their pilgrimage stories to the legendary Bitcoin bar. Cointelegraph reported that even Bitcoin educator Andreas Antonopoulos had turned local business owners onto crypto after a chance meeting in the bar. Quote, a visit to Berlin was never complete without stopping by Room 77, said Bitcoin core developer Eric Lombroso. This place will always remain part of Bitcoin history. <coughs> Phil Luxock shared memories of his first time spending crypto in the real world. Quote, when I first got some Bitcoin, I just wanted to spend it somewhere AFK. I got to room 77 on an early spring afternoon in 2013 and ordered a coffee since I didn't want beer or food. I just wanted to spend some decentralized currency for the first time in my life. End quote. Platzer did not provide a specific reason for the closure. But former patrons are speculating it may be related to restrictions due to the pandemic. Last week, authorities announced a curfew requiring bars in Berlin to shut down between 11 p.m. and 6 a.m. and restrict gatherings to no more than 25 people indoors. Though the ban was later lifted, many businesses worldwide are experiencing a drop in revenue as tourism drops and more people stay indoors. Quote, blame it on COVID or blame it on gentrification, said crypto economist John Matonis on Twitter. Either way, this Kreuzberg landmark. Has served as a Bitcoin watering hole for over ten years, with thousands making the obligatory pilgrimage. So yeah, that's the sad one. Who knows? Who, you know, who knows why? It probably is COVID, but it's sad to see Room Seventy Seven go. I mean, there's I I have you know like my computer's wallpaper when I had it up. Um, it had one of the, it was just it's like one of the very famous uh, pieces of art for Bitcoin that shows the street scene, and it has. You know all these little all these little things that are part of the history of Bitcoin, you know, past and present, in it. And Room 77 is definitely there. And I'd never I I've never been to Germany, so clearly I couldn't have ever gone to Room 77. But I mean, even I knew about the place. So there you go. Uh, sad to see that happen. Uh, although it's really sad to see the SEC, SEC chairman say that the door is wide open to tokenization of E T F s. Oh, Joseph Young's going to tell us about it. He's writing this for the BTC Times sometime early this morning. Jay Clayton, chairman of the SEC, says he's willing to facilitate the tokenization of exchange traded funds. According to the International Investment, or rather, sorry, according to International Investment publication, Clayton said at a conference hosted by the United States Chamber of Digital Commerce that he is open to talks about the process of tokenizing ETFs. Tokenization refers to the process of creating a token that represents the underlying value of a certain asset, most of which you don't need. Tokenizing an asset can potentially make it easier to transfer and trade. In the context of this discussion, Clayton's statement re- statement refers to the representation of existing ETF products through cryptocurrencies or blockchain-based tokens. Quote, our door is wide open. If you want to tokenize the ETF product in a way that adds efficiency... We want to meet with you, and we want to facilitate that. Of course, you have to register it and do what you would do with any other ETF, end quote. A tokenized ETF is well within the realm of possible developments, Mason Borda, CEO of security token platform TokenSoft, told the BTC Times. Quote, TokenSoft and the TokenSoft transfer agent have blazed the trail with the first SEC-registered security tokens. Now that we've made this possible, even a tokenized ETF is possible. The first one we got through the SEC was a 40-act fund, which behaves very similarly to an ETF, end quote. While the immediate implications of Clayton's comments are not clear, there may be a possibility that over time the general interest around cryptocurrencies and tokenization could spill over into cryptocurrency-specific ETFs. If that was to happen, it could raise the probability of a Bitcoin ETF. The latest Bitcoin ETF was rejected by the SEC on February the 27th, the Commission pinpointed the concern of market manipulation as a primary reason for turning down the NYSE ARCA's Bitcoin ETF proposal. Quote, the Commission concludes that the NYSE ARCA has not established that the relevant Bitcoin market possesses a resistance to manipulation that is unique beyond that of traditional security or commodity markets, such that it is inherently resistant to manipulation. An argument could be made, however. That the market share of well-regulated Bitcoin exchanges, especially institution-tailored platforms, has been rapidly increasing. For instance, according to data from SKU, institution-focused LMAX Digital is the second biggest spot exchange in the world, outperformed only by Coinbase. As the BTC Times previously reported, the inflow into, into institutional Bitcoin products, including the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, has also surged significantly in 2020. As such, the confluence of the SEC considering, to- considering tokenized ETFs, the growing market share of well-regulated exchanges, and rapidly increasing institutional demand could raise the likelihood of a Bitcoin ETF in the future. So you never know. Do we need a Bitcoin ETF? Probably not. Will it jack the price up if we get one? Probably. Will it make sure that we never have like massive drop-offs in price again? no so honestly i i don't see the point except for the fact that with an etf it does allow 401k managers to be able to drop their people into exposure to bitcoin i mean they can do that in in kind of roundabout ways right now but like for instance like buying microstrategy but you're not you're not really directly you're only indirectly exposed to to bitcoin at that point You'd get more exposure by buying GBTC off of Barry Silbert, although I don't recommend it because the uh, the premium is pretty high. So anyway, that's going to do it for part one, of the morning roundup. Let's let's run the numbers. Energy futures, we are down across the board. West Texas Intermediate is down a quarter. Brent North Sea is down a quarter. Natural gas is down 1.19%. Um, so there, there's there's that. But apparently metals are all up. We got gold up a half a point. Silver is rallying at uh, 2% to the upside. Platinum is up a point. Copper is up half a point. Palladium is up half a point. So looks like gold is going to weigh in. At 1900 or uh, $1,916, which is pretty much what it was on Friday. So, yeah, yeah poor Peter Schiff will be old and gray, and gold will still be swinging between $1,700 and $2,000. All right, so indexes apparently were saved. Dow futures are up 0.69%. S&P is up 0. 08 NASDAQ futures up almost a full point, and the S&P mini... Up one-third of a point. So, yeah, we're all saved, man. It's going to be great. But Real Money says this. 1BTC is now $11,486 with a high of $11,497 at BitAsset. And we're looking at a low of, where is my low? My low is going to be somewhere. Cimex has it at 11476 So, we're in a $10 trading range. I remember when the swings were like 100 bucks, man. Actually, 150 in some cases. But the trading range has been so tight that there's almost no, no chance for arbitrage. It's an interesting situation at best. We have 270,900 transactions performed in the last 24 hours. That's 11,288 transactions on average per hour, with 2.5 million BTC changing hands in that same 24-hour period. 106,000 BTC are being sent on average per hour and 9.9, sorry, 9.39 BTC are being sent as the average transaction value, while the median transaction value is 0.036 BTC or about 417 bucks. Block times are seriously high right now, 12 minutes and 25 seconds. We have 0.35 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 41.09 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We had a 21% drop in hash rate in the last 24 hours. Oh wow, I haven't seen that kind of movement in a long time. Uh that brings us down to 121.8 exahashes per second. You know, that was right this is occurring right off the heels of hitting yet another all-time high on hash rate. So God only knows what the hell happened here and I'm Sure, fud will be created. I'm sure there will be a mining death spiral. I'm sure that ether will flip in BTC. Just yeah, the fud is the fud's gonna come. So be prepared. Ethereum at 3.76, Bcash at 2.48, Litecoin at 47, dollars BSV at 158, Ethereum Classic at five and a quarter, Dogecoin at 0.0026, <clears throat> retaining its king its its kingdom as the most stable. Shitcoin ever. I mean, this thing rarely gets out of this range. 37,986 transactions on the Dogecoin network in the last 24 hours puts it in front of Ethereum Classics transaction numbers and Bcash. And Bcash has had yet another major drop in the amount of tra- uh, usage on their network. They're sitting at 16,000 transactions in the last 24 hours. Should stay as far away from that shitcoin as possible. Okay. We have a price of $11,500 as far as Clark Moody is concerned. That's $8,696 Satoshis per dollar. We have, let's see, what are we doing here? Oh, yeah, the Lightning Network. There is 1,059 BTC in the Lightning Network. That is $12.2 million of liquidity, 7,531 nodes, 36,243 channels. Tor capacity has gone down a point, well, a tenth of a point. It is now 49.8% of the Lightning network is on Tor. That is 528.17 BTC, and that is all spread across 2,476 Tor nodes. That's going to do it for finals. Part 2 of the Morning Roundup kicks off with Blockstream launching Aqua, a new Bitcoin and Liquid wallet. This is from the BTC Times. Who's writing it? Apparently there's no author. Oh well. Okay. A new wallet designed for the next wave of Bitcoin and Liquid asset adoption. Bitcoin's leading sidechain, the Liquid network, is about to get a lot easier to use following today's release of Aqua, a simple iOS mobile wallet designed for the mass adoption of digital assets. Quote, we designed Aqua for anyone to get quickly started with Bitcoin and liquid assets, said Samson Mao, chief strategy officer at Blockstream. From the scrolling home screen, Aqua gives you access to all of your Bitcoin, liquid, Bitcoin, Tether, USDT, and LCAD, Lightnight, game tokens, and any other asset available on the liquid network. Wow. Quote, end quote. Sending and receiving assets in Aqua is made as smooth as possible without any advanced features to get in the way. Users making transactions on the liquid network through Aqua have their assets fully settled in two minutes and ensure their financial data is completely confidential thanks to the sidechain's cryptographic technology. <clears throat> Users can also purchase Bitcoin directly from within the app using debit cards or Apple Pay through our ongoing partnership with Wire. Quote, Aqua is built upon the years of fantastic work from the Blockstream Green team, said Lawrence Nahum. Chief Architect at Blockstream, quote, the Green Development Kit, or the GDK, provided us with a secure, reliable foundation for the production of Aqua. Like Blockstream Green, Aqua is a fully open source, and we hope that Liquid uh, Federation members who would like to offer a branded wallet experience will use the Aqua code base for fast deployments, end quote. Blockstream will continue to develop the Blockstream Green and Aqua wallets in parallel with Blockstream Green, targeted at power users that want more control and privacy features like Tor and Aqua catering to casual or new Bitcoin users that want to keep things as simple as possible. Blockstream Green will support all major operating systems while Aqua will be mobile only. Some of the updates to GDK introduced with Aqua will be making their way back to Blockstream Green. For instance, We'll be releasing a much requested single sig wallet in the app or in the app soon, according sorry, alongside the existing two of two and two of three multi-sig two FA wallet options. Aqua is available to download from the app store now. To learn more about the Liquid Network, please visit visit liquid.net. Okay, so this is just a straight up announcement from Blockstream, so that's why there's no author. Um <clears throat> yeah, this I don't know, man. Honestly, I haven't paid any attention at all to Liquid other than I know kind of what it is. But for me, Liquid was always more about the institutional side. And I'm not institutional. I'm retail. So it really made no difference to me. But this one, I don't know, man. Since Light Knight tokens are going to be on it and that kind of thing, it may be interesting to go into it. But again, I kind of, I'm not sure... Why the guys over at Lightnight are have their own token i i I'm sure they have their reasons i but honestly probably should just peep be, be bitcoin I, I don't know, but it may be worth a look to to grab this- you know this wallet and just kind of check it out since it is available on the app store. It's not going to cost me anything, so there you go if oh God Jerome Powell is in the news here we go with the i some i m f stuff so buckle up. One of these stories may be really, uh, I've been warned that one of these stories is very shittily uh, written. So we may have to abort upon upon reading it. Um, if you did not know, these are live reads, people. When I'm doing these shows, you know, when I sit down to do these shows, these are live reads. So you're getting the news at the exact same time I'm getting the news, okay? Scott Cipollina is writing this one for Decrypt.co sometime early this morning. <clears throat> United States Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell is speaking at the annual meeting of the International Monetary Fund today at 8 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, where he will address cross-border payments and digital currencies. Powell has alluded to the power of digital currencies before. In February of this year, he described Facebook's Libra project as a wake-up call. He also said that whether a digital currency moves the U.S. in the direction of preserving the centrality of a trusted and accepted currency is a, or sorry, is, quote, an open question, end quote. Today, Powell could be about to provide more clarity on the United States' plans for a digital currency. Quote, Powell is very much on the traditional side of finance, but some of his recent comments have been forward-looking, and his very, very attendance signals recognition of the importance of digital currencies. Jason Dean, Bitcoin analyst at Quantum Economics, told Decrypt, Another interesting question is whether or not Powell will address the United States' stance in relation to China's recent progress on its digital yuan, the DCEP, which is already well underway. The city of Shenzhen has already issued 10 million yuan in digital currency to 50,000 randomly selected citizens through red envelopes, according to Chinese website Wixen. The winners, according to the website post, are able to spend these digital funds at 3,389 merchants in Luho, Laohu District. District. Whether or not Powell addresses China's progress on a digital currency in his speech, we can expect at least some clarity on areas the Federal Reserve Chair previously described as unanswered questions for the United States. In February, Powell picked out cyber issues and privacy issues as two areas that need to be considered. Quote, many operational alternatives present themselves, so we're going to be working through all of that, Powell said in February. This is a, oh, sorry. (laughs) So yeah, Powell at the IMF. So what's going on exactly at the IMF? Well, here's another one from Matthew DeSalvo. Uh, This was written yesterday, also for Decrypt.co. IMF, Bretton Woods moment, needed to save economy and Bitcoin too. Yeah, that's probably where the crappy writing comes in. The head of the International Monetary Fund this week called for a new Bretton Woods moment. IMF Managing Director Kristalina Georgieva said Thursday at the annual meeting of the IMF's Board of Governors that governments must cooperate, to glue the global economy back together after it fell apart this year due to the pandemic. Okay, stopping right there for a sec. The entire world's economy fell apart from a pandemic. That's not really anti-fragile, is it? That's not the type of resilience that you'd like to see in the thing that represents over half of all human interaction with each other. Because over half of all the, the things that you do, the stuff that you reach for, the, the intelligence that you communicate is done through the passage of money from one person to another. Right? So keep that shit in mind. <clears throat> Quote, today we face a new Bretton Woods moment, a pandemic that has already cost more than a million lives, she said. The Bretton Woods Agreement was signed in 1944 by 44 allied nations. Its signatories agreed that exchange rates would be pegged to the price of gold, among other things. The agreement was abandoned in 1973, but showed that economic cooperation can help nations through strife. Okay, that's not entirely accurate. The exchange, rates was, <laughs> the exchange rates were pegged to the price of gold because everything was pegged to the United States dollar. That's the important part there. In 1971 uh, through 1973, Nixon basically took us off the, the gold standard or essentially what whatever was left of the gold standard by closing the gold window so none of the member countries of the Bretton Woods Agreement could go up to the exchange window and say, hey, here's my dollars, I want gold for it. He shut that shit down. And the minute that he shut that shit down meant that the dollar was decoupled from gold which meant that 44 member countries fiat uh, currency basically turned into fiat currency overnight and they had not shit to say about it they weren't they weren't asked they probably didn't even know they probably woke up to the news like everybody else did uh, amazing what was done there The IMF predicts that the pandemic will shrink the world's economy by 4.4% this year and remove $11 trillion of economic output by next year. Once again, we face two massive tasks, to fight the crisis today and build a better tomorrow, says Georgieva. Georgieva said in a statement that governments must adhere to three imperatives when considering how to save the global economy. First, issue the right economic policies. Second, invest in people. Third, focus on climate change. Jesus God. Oh, there's so much wrong with this. Economic policies should be tailored to each country's needs, she said. However, she urges all countries to move towards greater debt transparency, increased creditor coordination, as well as private sector support. By investing in people, Georgieva is talking about investing in healthcare, closing the gender pay gap, and expanding internet access to every corner of the globe. As for the imperative to address climate change, Georgieva said that climate-related disasters in the last decade add up to 1.3 trillion dollars. Green investment is essential, she said, as are higher carbon prices. Zero emissions by 2050 is a good aim to shoot for, she said. But what does this mean for the almighty Bitcoin? Well, Bitcoin is often thought of as an uncorrelated as to be uncorrelated with the world economy, a hedge against the efficacy of central banks, but this year more than ever the price of the cryptocurrency has moved with the United States stocks and crumbled along with them in mid-March before recovering in tandem this summer. The IMF forecast that this crisis is worse than the financial crisis of 2008. How governments progress may impact Bitcoin's price. Okay, so yeah, that that whole last part about Bitcoin being in this is a throwaway. I, I just wouldn't listen to it, but what I would listen to is the non-economic part of what the international monetary fund is is talking about i mean honestly this is it's it's like reading a corporate mission statement and if you know if you've listened to the show at all you know what my stance is on corporate speak corporate mission statements like that kind of it's it's all bs because it doesn't really even say anything it's just a bunch of words thrown onto a sheet of paper that hopefully will placate the mass, you know, like the majority of the people that read it. And they'll just, I don't know, go away and stop bothering the corporate officers about the fact that they're screwing something up. That's what this sounds like. I mean, three, implement the right economic policies. Okay. What are the right economic policies? That's a throwaway statement. Invest in people. That's a throwaway statement because it's a mission statement. If, invest in people is the oldest. Oh God, it's just, it's one of those statements that you always hear and whoever said it does absolutely nothing to invest in people, uh, and tackle climate change. That's a throwaway because that's just part of every, you know, corporate speak at, at, you know, for the last, what, let's say eight straight years, it has been nothing but this hair pulling zombification of the United States and the rest of the world's population into thinking that we're all going to die yet again because we were all going to die with a hole in the ozone layer. Have you ever heard about the hole in the ozone layer? It was just as bad, almost just as bad as this uh, panic that we see the the governments of the world putting their citizenry through. It was uh, the hole in the ozone is going to kill us. We're going to lose our atmosphere. It's going to, I mean, it's going to be an extinction-level event. I mean, I heard it all, and I haven't heard anything since. And, well, I'm still here. You're still here, so, I don't know. I mean, it's Monday, dude. It's Monday. What do you expect? 95% of winners in China's CBDC lotter- lottery spent digital won prizes. Helen Parts is writing this for Cointelegraph. This is talking about that that pilot program where i don't know some like 50,000 people got got a hold of some di- some of the new digital wand and weren't allowed to transfer it amongst themselves could only spend it, it at certain you know certain vendors basically it was a tracking mechanism pilot it's, they're in beta on this i guarantee it that they had they don't really give a shit that they're giving people money they don't really at this point they're more concerned about the fact that they can track this and and by tracking what you buy, where you buy it, when you bought it, the amount of metadata that's being compiled is insane. So that's why they did this. It has nothing to do with whether or not they're testing out the money. I mean, the money has been digital forever anyway, but here we go. The vast majority of China's $1.5 million digital won lottery winners have received and spent their, quote, red envelopes of digital won As of October the 18th, a total of 47,573 out of 50,000 lottery winners in China have received their prizes, Shenzhen authorities officially announced on Sunday. According to the announcement, the winners conducted a total of 62,788 transactions, accounting for 8.8 million won, or about $1.3 million U.S. This amount represents 88% of the total 10 million won, the full $1.5 million U.S. that was distributed in the giveaway pilot in Shenzhen. Some winners have not only spent their red envelopes, but also topped up their wallets, having purchased an additional 901,000 won, or about $134,000 U.S. Shenzhen launched a pilot program to promote the digital won with a public giveaway on October the 9th. Lottery organizers will take back the unused amount of the digital yuan packets if winners do not spend it by October the 18th. As previously reported, a total of 2 million people applied to participate in Shenzhen's digital yuan giveaway program as of October 12th. China's central bank digital currency, the digital yuan, began testing in April 2020. Pilots were subsequently expanded to nine cities, including Shenzhen, Guangzhou, as well as Hong Kong and Macau. So. Okay. Look, they're not—they're not, they're not testing the digital wand. They're not promoting the digital wand. They're testing how much data they're going to be able to get and how granular that data uh, is. And because it's like the more fine-grained data that you can get, you start making connections between people. You can figure out where they're at at certain times of day. It's really heinous. This is bad for humanity. Everything about this is is terrible for the future of humanity. But, you know, again, here we are. So now we're going to end off with Warren Buffett and his hyperinflating ego. Well, actually, it's probably going to be his wealth. But Warren Buffett will see his wealth hyperinflate while Bitcoin price does 40 to 80x, says Max Kaiser. This is crypto potato. Uh, Jordan Lanchev is writing it October the 17th. Popular TV host and longtime Bitcoin proponent Max Kaiser believes that futures traders suppress Bitcoin's pr- price at current levels. However, once the asset explodes to Kaiser's intermediate target of $28,000, BTC's amount for sale will evaporate as governments and institutions will purchase directly from miners. Kaiser recently tweeted that the temporary Bitcoin price suppression scheme is a godsend for poor people to stack sats now before retail liquidity dries up and the price vaults to gold parity levels around $400,000. Crypto Potato reached out to the popular TV host to elaborate on his views regarding the price suppression and potential surge in value. Kaiser asserted that, For the world's poor, the current price and availability of BTC are a -a once-in-a-species existent opportunity to acquire unconfiscatable hard money before a 40 to 80x move to the upside, end quote. He commented that his forensic analysis of the BTC market corroborated by insiders is indicating futures traders are suppressing the price of BTC to give institutional players a chance to load the boat. He also gave his intermediate price target of $28,000 per coin. Once the cryptocurrency reaches that level, it would be a significant game, game changer for people's perception of the asset, quote, when this happens, we'll see something quite unexpected. The retail market for BTC will dry up. The amount of BTC for sale at any price will be increasingly tiny. Institutions, corporations, and governments will be buying BTC directly from miners, presumably at a huge premium, end quote. Kaiser, who previously said that Warren Buffett will start panic buying Bitcoin when the asset price jumps to $50,000, said that people like the prominent investor Will have no Bitcoin exposure, will see their wealth hyperinflate to nothing. Wow, that's scary. It's no secret that the community, or it's no secret for the community that Buffett isn't a fan of the primary cryptocurrency. He once called Bitcoin rat poison, and even a charity launch with Tron's Justin Sun couldn't change his mind. Shortly after the event, Buffett insisted that BTC has no value and, quote, never will, end quote. However, Buffett recently purchased a massive share in a mining company producing gold while reducing his exposure in significant banks such as J.P. Morgan Chase and Wells Fargo. <clears throat> Kaiser believes that those who had taken a similar path and purchased gold and silver will be less impacted. Nevertheless, even gold holders will see their wealth take a relative nosedive against investors that are 100% BTC. So we're always, always... You know, wanting to read what Max has to say since he's turned into just this massive Bitcoin bull. Uh, there was a time I remember when Max Kaiser was uh, kind of delving into shit coinery. It does look like he's changed his ways and turned around. Thank God. I like Max, but sometimes I don't know, man. Sometimes I just like I listen to him talk, and it's like if you were talking about anything other than Bitcoin, I'd call your ass kind of shady. But hey. You know, it is what it is. I, I still like Max. He's really good for entertainment purposes. As to exactly how much uh, what he says is going to happen and, and become true, that's yeah, anybody's guess. But, yeah, still, I love Max. That's going to do it for the Morning Round. Daily Trainwrecked brought to you by Wheat Pond. Also known as Eric forward slash on Twitter, quote, ETH can do everything that Bitcoin can do plus a lot more. All right, Eric himself is actually not the, uh, is not the train wreck. That was literally a quote. Uh, he goes on, he's going to go on a, a bit of a rant here. Let's, let's follow through his thread. I hear this often from people who are very new to crypto and figured it would maybe be useful to make a list of the things that make King Corn so special. So very special. Uh, number one, Bitcoin is the hardest of hard money. There will never be more than 21 million Bitcoin because the culture of full node running curmudgeonly bastard Bitcoiners will never allow it. We proved this already. Google S2X Bitcoin if you want to read about an epic battle and an epic battle. One of my ETH booster friends said that if ETH adopts EIP 1559, which burns ETH every transaction, ETH will become even more scarce than Bitcoin. Unfortunately, this is actually a total uh, self-owned of a self own of a point, and beautifully illustrates the difference I'm talking about. Being hard money isn't about being scarce but rather about being immutably, stubbornly, reliably scarce. Saying EIP-1559 makes ETH harder is literally saying, quote, adopting a big change to monetary policy proposed by the founder single-digit years after launch makes ETH harder, end quote. Obviously, any coin... Which can make a positive change to its emission schedule so easily could also make one in the other direction. You can't serenely rely on the idea that your stake won't be diluted. I want to clarify that this isn't necessarily bad for ETH. ETH is trying to do something very different than Bitcoin and being flexible and aggressive is potentially the correct strategy. But for people who need a hard as nails inflation hedge, BTC is greater than Bitcoin. Or sorry, sorry, BTC is greater than Ethereum. There you go. So, second point, BTC has simple goals. Uh, Over 21 million coins ever. I think he means never. Max censorship resistance. There is no three. There is no number three. Being willing to accept all trade-offs in service of those goals means we assume BTC is likely to be the best at those two, even if it is because it sucks at anything else. So, (laughs) if If what you need is an inflation hedge that you can't easily be have confiscated by even state actors, Bitcoin is your pick. The market for that simple feature set is likely to be in the multiple of trillions of dollars for reasons people have already covered ad nauseum. This is enough for BTC. And again, this isn't also isn't necessarily bad for Ethereum if you're worried about your assets being seized in court, ETH is probably hard enough for you, but if you want even the full super saiyan hitler model state to have a hard time getting his grubby hands on your money you want btc three bitcoin simplicity makes it easily understood and adopted by no coiners this is empirical public uh, public companies are buying btc now at least one sovereign wealth fund i know of also holds btc Tons of conservative asset managers have allocated to it. It's digital gold, not that scary. Bitcoin, oh, this is the last point. Bitcoin's conservatism makes it less of a moving target and easier for very long-term hodlers to adopt. ETH is facing performance issues that the community has decided necessitates a huge change from proof of work to proof of stake. Bitcoin features no such question marks. I hope this was useful for some ETH fans as a look into the actually unique things Bitcoin is simply better at. It's my opinion that ETH benefits from BTC's existence and vice versa. I don't agree with that. So hopefully the two communities can get along a bit better in the future. Nope, that's probably never going to happen. Uh, I, you know, ETH was trying to do something different than Bitcoin. Until the founders stepped up and said, ETH is now going to be money. And the minute that they did that, not only did they completely shit can all the ideals that they had from the get-go, which means that ethically they're ethically all challenged, but then they started competing, started saying that they were going to compete directly with BTC. So there's not going to be any kumbaya moment for, for us and, and Ethereum. I think You know, Ethereum, what's the biggest danger for me in Ethereum is the fact that it's so plumbed up. And what I mean by that is that it's got all this piping and there's all these things and there's GUI and gas and all kinds of shit going on. And honestly, man, the the more plumbing you put into a house, the easier it is to stop up a drain. Right? This is a Rube Goldberg machine, and all it's really been able to, to do is generate scam after scam after scam after scam. Nobody's computing on it. It was supposed to be the world computer. How many fluid dynamics calculations are going on this world computer? Right? How many of any calculations other than a smart contract executing, losing your money to buy a digital cat? There, there's nothing else on this platform. It's all bullshit. Just stop. Anyway, that's going to do it for your smoldering pile. Oh, terrible joke corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes, who says, I can't understand why my calculator stopped working. It just doesn't add up. That's a beautiful shot, definitely. Okay, we have come to the end of yet the another episode of Bitcoin, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.